Great. How good. Good morning, New Life Kulangata. So excited to be here this morning. I'm pumped to be preaching the Word of God and just chewing it, having a look at it, seeing what it says to us today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 42. We're going to be reading to the end. If you haven't met me before, my name is Dave Skembri. I get the joy of being on team here. I get the joy of actually having the uh, probably best job you could ever have at a church. My question that I get to ask when I do my job is how do we have healthy, vibrant, growing Jesus communities that focus on love and focus on care and focus on Jesus? And I, I get so excited about this. And so today, as we continue our vision series, uh, we're going to be talking about community. We're going to be talking about what it means to be in small groups, uh, in, in small groups of people doing life with one another well. Um, so we are, we're doing a vision series. This is week two. And something that I really, really, really love about the way New Life has approached a vision series is that I've been to a lot of uh, churches that have had this idea that Vision Sunday is about telling you how good the organization is. And so they will tell you 40 things this year that organization is planning to do. And you get to watch from the, from the pews, from the chairs, and you get to witness how great this organization is becoming. But the heartbeat that I've seen of New Life isn't how great can our organization become, although there's a bunch of things New Life is doing this year that are amazing. But the heartbeat of New Life and our vision for this church is how do we as a community progress towards Jesus? That is the measure of success as a church. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, we're forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should embrace this point of view. I love that last sentence. It's like the Bible said it, not me. But all of us who are mature should embrace this perspective. What perspective? That we are on a journey towards Jesus. And the Bible actually has a word for this, a word for this idea of us as a community advancing towards Jesus, towards his truth, towards uh, his love for us, his identity for us. The Bible has a word for this idea of moving Christward. And this word is discipleship. And so throughout this vision series, we're planning to ask and answer a whole heap of questions. And they're pretty simple. The first question is this, why does new life exist as an entity? Like, why do we exist? Why does New Life exist as an entity in 2022? What's the point of New Life existing for the next 12 months? And the third question is quite contextual, but why does New Life exist in 2022 in Kulingada? Why are we here in this city? What are we planning to do in this community? And the answer to all of those questions is the same, is that together we would become more like Jesus, that together we would see more people become more like Jesus. And if there is a tagline anyone can get behind if they've encountered Jesus, it has to be this one. Because it's not just more people becoming Christians, it's more Christians becoming more like Jesus as more non-Christians become Christians. It's this, everybody's involved in this call. So we believe as a church that to see uh, this idea of progressing towards Jesus happen, it isn't going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen passively. It's not going to happen if I just read my scriptures each day, though that's a helpful thing to do. But we need to be intentional. And so our church took the time to kind of lay out these, these four lenses, these four priorities that as we engage in and as we commit to, we will see the vision of discipleship take place in new life, in this community, in our lives, in 2022. Like imagine this, if by the end of 2022, you know Jesus something better. 
You know Jesus something more. You know what Jesus thinks of you in a more true and honest way. You know your value and your purpose and your call in a more beautiful, brilliant, and real way in your heart by the end of this year. That's the agenda of New Life Church. And so we believe these four lenses, these four priorities are the way. The first is this, that we make an effort. We are committed to gathering the lost. Gathering the lost. We go to the places the lost are, the people who haven't encountered, known, or had the chance to meet Jesus. It could be workplaces. It could be family. It could be friend circles. We go to these places, and in Jesus' name, we declare the truth, and we invite them into our communities, our lives, and even our church if they're bold enough to come. We gather the lost. The second thing we do, we glue into community. Now, we're all really good at attending community. This isn't what this is saying. We glue into community. We become sold out. We're committed. We're invested in our local communities. Third, third thing, we grow as disciples. We don't become disciples. My friends in this room, we are all, if we know Jesus Christ and have been saved by his blood, we are disciples of him. But we believe growing as disciples is about recognizing the gifts and call God has for us and engaging and, and actually pressing into them in a real practical and powerful way. We grow as disciples. Finally, we go on mission. So we gather the lost, we glue in a community, we grow as disciples, and we go on mission. We advance the kingdom of God through justice, through love, and through care. Cooling yeah, Gadda will know the face of Jesus by the end of this year better because we exist here and we love them. I can get excited for these lenses, these ideas. And, and, and as we engage this, this idea of gather, glue, grow, go. Gather the lost, glue in a community, grow as disciples, go on mission. As we engage these four lenses, really intentionally looking at what it means for these to be living principles in our lives. As we do this, the kingdom of God advances. And what we see in, in this place, in our hearts, in this community, and in our city, is more people becoming more like Jesus. That excites me. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read that scripture we opened to before. It's Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42. And then I'm going to unpack a little bit what, why I opened this scripture, and then we're going to pray together. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Wow. Every day they continue to meet together? Wow. I struggle with a once a week small group. Once a day small group? Wow. Whew. I actually read this and thought, okay, I'm more comfortable asking, inviting us into a once a week small group because I'm not going to the extreme, you know. Hey, have you ever been impressed by how terrible someone was on your team, maybe a sports team or a, a, on your work team, hopefully not, but on your work team or a uni project? Or have you ever been impressed by how, like actually impressed by how bad someone was? So, so 
As a young ads, uh, our young ads on Monday, shameless plug, if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, get to our young ads ministry on Monday nights. Jesus moves, the community's beautiful. A bunch of those young ads decided, let's start a futsal, indoor soccer kind of team. Great. Uh, I'm English, so naturally they said, David, do you want to join this team? I thought that was a bit judgmental, but it's okay. It's fine. I went to the shops. And I thought, well, I haven't actually played football since I moved to Australia, and so I better go and buy some gear. So I went to the shops, and, and I bought some boots, I bought a shirt, I bought, you know, some socks, I bought, I bought whatever I thought I might need so that I can't blame the equipment for my lack of talent. And I very quickly learned the meaning of the phrase, all the gear, no idea. I get to the, uh, I get to the first game, and um, I, I actually remember it about, you know, Five minutes in of playing, I had actually impressed myself with how bad I was. I was like, I am out of shape, and I have no talent. This is atrocious. Half-time came. I'm not even kidding. Half-time came, and I thought the game was done. I was like, we've done it. We made it to the end. I felt like vomiting. I was feeling terrible. And like 12 seconds passed, and I was uh, told to get back on the pitch. And I was like, 12, what? It's, it's, we haven't even started yet. The break, I mean, that is terrible. Anyway, here's what impressed me. We narrowly won the game. Yeah, that impressed me. But beyond that, we celebrated as a team. And it wasn't because we won that we celebrated as a team. We celebrated as a team, we were not, not shaming one another, not laughing, not for all the other stuff-ups and everything that happened. No one was really concerned about that. We lent into the community, and we celebrated one another. And it was the coolest thing I've been a part of. And I just remember at the end of that first game uh, that, that I remember thinking to myself, this has easily become my favorite mode of fitness, right? I was like, wow, you come, you look stupid, you nearly vomit and die, but wow, then you get encouraged for it. This is great. And I remember thinking, I would definitely never miss a single game. <laughs> um, why? Why? I'm going to get there. Taylor's on the team. She's, she's grumpy with me. Hey, why? Why would I think to myself in that game, I'll never miss another game? Because when we glue into a community and they glue into us, when they lean in and we lean in and we love one another and there's a deep sense of community there, it fills a universal basic soul need. Something deep within us gets met. So, I mean, as you can imagine, obviously I never missed another game. <laughs> Jokes. I have missed, I've actually, I went to like four more. Um, but, you know, that, and that's for real. But here's the point. I remember the sense of welcome and belonging and acceptance even when I brought nothing to the mix. Even when they weren't having me on the team because I was the next Ronaldinho, Maradona, Ronaldo. I wasn't the next, you know, I was just some guy who was like feeling like vomiting at half time and any moment could have tripped over the ball and died. No, they, they welcomed me when I brought nothing to the mix. And this is the image we see of community in Acts chapter 2. It's what Luke is describing here a collection of people that discovered the secret of a true and healthy, life-bringing community. So what does the Disney motive, have you ever noticed that every happily ever after in Disney has a marriage involved? What does the rising popularity of the social sciences, what does our disenchantment thanks to COVID of lockdowns and isolation, what does the teenage obsession with love songs, what do 300 million gamers, many of them introverts, building a community called Discord where they can build a, 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 a social interaction, what do the nine dwarves, 40 bazillion Avengers, five Backstreet Boys, and just shy of two 200,000 spectators for the 1950s World Cup final all have in common. 
they show us the deep, deep need that humans are driven, hungry, desperate, and dependent and designed for community. At the end of the day, everyone in this room has tasted and seen and experienced some sense of our need for one another. And worse than that is we've all tasted and seen what happens when it goes wrong and how deep the scars and the hurt and the long-lasting pain can be when community breaks down. What if Jesus had a way of doing community that could change everything? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you are in this room. That when I, when, I, when I pray for community, when I pray about what it means to be a people who are in and sold out for one another, who are glued into a fellowship of believers, what I'm praying for is that we would actually look just something more like you. The God who is by nature communal, the triune, three persons, one God, God. I, I, I just pray, Lord. And today in this place, we would see, taste, and experience a revelation of who you are in such a way that we get captivated and driven to live it out. I pray that by this end of this place, we'll be more willing to get hurt. We'll be more willing to be vulnerable, be more willing to place ourselves in situations where we've before been uncomfortable because our agenda is no longer the affirmation of other people, but our agenda is Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your soft and good grace to fill this room. I pray where there's hurt, you would be touching. I pray where Christian communities have been a source of pain, there would be healing. And I pray there would be an eternal calling that kind of begins to grow in our hearts for Jesus' communities. I praise you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Acts 2, 44 to 45, it says this. All of the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What picture is Luke painting here? Um, all these people, they came together. There was unity. There was a closeness. They had everything in common. That's like they were agreeing with one another. They, they believed in one another. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That is, there was financial equity. There was financial equality. Everyone had equal opportunity, and nobody had to fear being squashed that day. Imagine tomorrow waking up. Imagine if tomorrow you literally woke up in a community like this. Imagine if tomorrow you woke up, and you just knew you were going to be okay. Like, you deeply, deeply knew you were okay. You knew that you had a community of people who wanted to be close. You knew you had people on your side who loved you and wanted to hear your opinions. You knew people weren't going to drop you if they disagreed, but rather they would care about you enough to actually learn more. You knew that if you had some sort of trouble today, these people would literally sell their houses and their stuff to make a way for you to be okay. Imagine going to bed tomorrow night with this community knowing that you have a peace you've never felt, a deep sense of joy and a deep sense of purpose and place in this world. This image is, an, this image is a heavenly community. That's what Luke's painting. What Luke's drawing here is what community looks like in heaven and what community can look like when heaven invades earth. But here's the thing, there are two ways to read this. 
There are two ways to read this scripture. Um, uh, There's a wrong way and a right way, and I laugh when I say that because you could say that about any scripture, right? There's a wrong way and a right way, obviously. But the point I want to make is we're going to take some time to do both. We're going to read the wrong way. Uh, We're going to read this the wrong way to read it for a minute, and then we're going to read it the right way. And we're going to do this because I think naturally even Christians in this room have a habit of reading verses like this the wrong way. And what it does is it robs the beauty and the brilliance and the supernatural wonder that this scripture is filled with from us as believers today. So we're going to read the wrong way first. A wrong way of reading is to secularize or to take the spiritual out. Or let me put it a different way. You see that word believers? Replace it with people. All the people were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Take the belief out. And when we read it this way, and I'll tell you why it's easy to read this way. Because unfortunately, unlike communion and baptism and all these things, community is not a Christian idea. Right? What we're talking about here isn't a Christian idea. It's a human need. And so it's easy to take Christ out of it and just consider community. And so that's what we do. We approach this verse as just people who want community. And and here's the crazy part. Luke knew this, and he actually uses language here that describes this. That bit in white, they had everything in common, is actually a phrase that had been in use for at least 600 years. Uh, From Pythagoras, if you know him from, I should his name with it, Pythagoras, who you may remember from your math classes as loving triangles, and and, and all the way to Plato, who wrote some amazing teachings down. Um, and, And all the way through, up to this point, we see philosopher and idealist having used a phrase very similar to having everything in common. I googled it. What is this meaning? What is it saying? And, and, and a more common translation of what it would be is the word utopia. I was like, well, I'm not a philosopher. You're not philosophers. What do we do with this idea? What is this idea of utopia? And as I looked into it, I found that utopia was this, this, this uh, drive of humans to build for themselves the best possible way of being human together. That is, that, that what utopia is, is, is a way of humans to meet the deep need inside of every human for the communities that we feel we were made to have. And I'll say that again 15 more times so that it, it lands in throughout the sermon, but here's the description it gave. It said, Utopias are a healthy, a harmonious, a prosperous, and inclusive, and a sustainable way of being human together. And they come out of ideas, cohesive logic, and the unfailing hard work of all of the members. That sounds tiring. I know I wouldn't be included in Utopia. So when the society of the day, when the people of Luke's day read and saw, like read Luke's writings and saw what society could look like, this idea of utopia, what happened, there was kind of only one way to respond. I mean, just imagine for a minute that that you understood that there's a deep need. I mean, everyone in this room can relate to this. There's a deep disconnect. There's a deep need in our hearts for community that nothing yet has quite filled, that every time you've lent in, there's some hurt or some pain has happened, right? And, and, And you're in this place where suddenly this weird kind of, what do they call themselves, Christians? Ew, what, what does that mean? This weird Christian community are like coming together and doing um, um, community perfectly and you don't believe in a supernatural and you certainly don't believe in the Jesus or at least you don't approach it that way because you're reading people and not believers and so you approach this as just ordinary people and you only have three ways to read this. Either they're lying about what they're doing 
These people were enslaved by fear and religion. Or most observe, somehow, uh, somehow some idea of some guy called Jesus had perfected these people. And so I don't know about you, but if I read this and I take the believers ad and I replace it with ordinary people, you know, human-driven effort for community, I scoff. This is absurd. There's no way that someone came down to it and some, you know, has anyone in need, not just other believers, anyone in need. You know, you have a beautiful house passed down from your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather, Kathy down the road. She's going through a hard time. What do you do? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell my house and I'm going to give her the money so that she's not in need anymore. Like, what? That's absurd. What? There goes your sense of security. There goes, you know, your prestige and community. Nah, they didn't care. What leads to this? And I think today we also sense a deep disconnect between what community should be and what we deeply desire and crave community to look like and kind of what it is. And maybe today we think if we just put enough hard work, enough effort, enough uh, good thoughts, good ideas and logic into it, like, uh, like, like we do when we approach this without believing, we think maybe we can make our communities a lot better by our own effort. Maybe we can build these perfect human communities. It's certainly what culture teaches us. It's certainly the narrative of today. If we just keep going, we progress slowly to perfect community. Every generation, we get smarter. Every generation, we get more capable, more effective. And, and, and culture paints this picture that if we just keep going and we don't kill ourselves before then, eventually we'll build for ourselves a perfect community of being. But the problem is... We've been talking about this for at least 2,600 years, and we don't seem any closer today than Pythagoras did back then. So they scoff because no amount of human effort, no good ideas, no logic, has yet been helpful in solving this problem. And what happens when we draw away from community what happens when we distance ourselves from community? What happens when communities break down around us and within us? We know that healthy communities are a source of health, a source of joy, and a source of truth. And what happens is as people slip out, we become ungrounded. Like, like I just want to touch a couple of things that happen as we draw out a community. The reason I want to do this is to, to really highlight how deep the need is for it and then to really point back to how beautiful healthy community can be for us. And so here's the thing. When we slip out of community, we lose our sense of self. We lose our grounding, right? We lose this kind of idea of where we belong. We start having all these problems, but no one's there to speak life into us. So what do we do? We, um, we assume they're the problem and not us. In other words, we become victims, we know that in isolation and when community breaks down, it breeds depression, anxiety, mental health issues, things we're seeing in abundance all across our society today. And practically even, when we break down from community and we lose our sense of community, there's just like a practical uh, problem that comes with that. The people who care for us, the people who lean in, the people who carry us where we can't carry ourselves, the people who see us in a day of need and are available to step in and actually provide for us, you know, actually meet our needs. If you collapse one day and you don't have community, no one's going to know you collapsed. It's just a practical thing that we need each other. But even without our soul health and our practical health, what about the simple power of laughter? What about the simple power of fun, enjoyment, encouragement? You see, these things are as deeply necessary to the health of a human heart as accountability, 
as encouragement. These things uh, just fun and laughter are such, such a central part of a healthy human soul. When community distances, when we lose accountability, when we lose uh, encouragement, when we lose the challenge to live up to the best version of ourselves we could ever live up to, we seem to, as we lose community, lose a sense of self. A loss of community is a robbery of life. And this we begin to see is why these secular authors and these secular idealists, and when we, just the world all over, have put so much work into thinking that the perfect human way of being involves and depends on us doing community better. This is why the dreams of Pythagoras and Plato, of Karl Marx, and of all sorts of thinkers throughout time have said, how do we do community better? Because I know that if we do, everyone will be better. And all of them have failed. Healthy community is an impossible and yet universal desire. We never made it, and yet everyone wants it. Acts 2, 42 to 43, uh, literally right before this verse, because I'm going to tell you, the right way of reading is to read it in context, right? Always. If you ever like, how do I read this verse? Have you read the verse before? It's a really helpful trick. Um, Acts 2, 42 to 43, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In 1729, two brothers had a, and a couple of their friends, they had this sense that something was missing, that something wasn't quite connecting. They knew about God and they knew his word, but they were at Oxford University with the smartest people, you know, in England, which means in the world. And so here they were, and so, sorry guys, so here they were coming together to be like, well, we're, we're, we're pretty intelligent and yet something seems wrong, off and lacking. And so they took three to four nights a week to meet together and discuss Christianity and some of the brilliant men and women of our faith that have come before. What did they do? What did they believe? How did they view what it meant to be a Christian? These discussions naturally shifted to actions. The actions shifted to habits. We see these people fasting till 3 p.m. on Wednesdays and on Fridays. We see these people begin to write 22 questions down that every day they would ask themselves and reflect on. And these questions are hard. I have read them. It's like, are you defeated in any way? Okay, well, that's a pretty lame one. What else? Uh, Do you gossip, slander, stretch the truth, or speak about other people in any way? (laughs) <laughs> yes. You know, like it's like, like these questions were deeply revealing of the condition of one's soul because they, and it wasn't condemning, it's because they genuinely cared about the health of their souls. These people went on to become, uh, they, they brought food to the poor families in their community. They went to prisons to visit the lonely. They actually taught orphans how to read and write. If you were writing a book on the perfect people, I think these are the things you would write down, right? Like these guys sound like angels. But what happened was they became the subject of mockery at their school. People started laughing at them. What are they doing? They're so glued into Jesus. They're so glued into each other. They're losing their sense of, of reality. What are they? It's so weird. What are they doing? And they, they insulted them with this, with this dub. They called them the holy club. Look, as far as insults go, I'd take it. I'm just saying, if someone wanted to say that I was part of the holy club, I would say thank you and not why. You know. So why am I saying this, you ask? 
These guys met together because they felt something was off, something was lacking, that they had a call and a sense of reality and they weren't quite grasping it. This is a sense I have deep inside my soul, if I can be honest. I think this is a sense many of us have. And many of us get disenfranchised with church programs and church uh, you know, uh, drives and whatnot because we think it's going to meet this need and it doesn't. And, and we get kind of caught up on, on, on what it means to do church. But these people didn't meet up to do church. They met up to chase Jesus. And as they met up to chase Jesus and see what that looks like, something happened to them that none of them actually expected. That a life was drawn out of them, a confidence in self, a view of faith, revelation and truth became their norm. And what started off as lofty ideals from smart people became practical habits of their daily, everyday life. And here's the crazy thing. The group grew from four people to 25 people at one stage, and at least 11 of them went down in the history books as major major influences in world revivals from America to Wales to England, revivals that to this day are shaping the way the Christian faith happens. George Whitfield, he went on to be a major founder of the American Great Awakening and the Welsh revivals. John Wesley went on to found the Methodist movement, preaching a gospel of hope to a down and out forgotten group of miners in England that would go on and historians have said that perhaps this is why England didn't face a bloody revolution like France. Why? Because a message of hope reached the down and out. Because a guy called John Wesley encountered Jesus. And I would like to say, his movement particularly is relevant to us. Because here in this building, in this place right now, we are experiencing his legacy through the Methodist movement that is a part of the Uniting Church. So this is a guy from the 1700s impacting us in the 2100s. Yeah, we're really, um, you know, like, like outgrowing the past. No, we are looking to the past. We are looking to the communities of disciples. We are looking back to see how community has been done well. And when we look back, what we see is one truth. The book of Acts was not unique. It was a template and an invitation for us today to trust that there is a healthier and a better way of being human together. His name is Jesus. Along with the nine dwarves, the 40 bazillion Avengers, and the five Backstreet Boys, we see long, long before trees, mountains, lakes, stars, humans, or time itself, there was God. And God lived in this generous, peaceable, life-bringing mysterious community with himself. Three persons, one God. I'm not going to go into the theology of it, but if you want to know more, I'd love to chat. That's how we do community. Um, Write it down on these cards. That's a good one. Um, Do we suddenly see um, that if our God is richly and himself by character a God of community, If in Genesis 2, in verse 18, it says that it is not good. He says it is not good for the people he crafted in his image. People he crafted to be images of him. People designed for community. It's not good for them to not have community. It's not good for them to be alone. So what does he do? He creates a means for community. Why? Why? Because God recognizes the community isn't an option. It's a necessity. It goes with food. It goes with, it goes with air. It, like, like, there's a reason prison's worst punishment is isolation. There's a reason our society has been so rocked by COVID. And it isn't just the sickness. It's the need for one another that is being taken because 
we're all trying to do the best we can. And it's affecting people because we were designed for community. And we see the, the rich tapestry, the deep human need for community, sewn and woven into the rich tapestry of Scripture the whole way through. No wonder Hebrews 10.25 causes us to not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but actually encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know when the day is going to approach, but let me tell you this. We have never been closer to that approaching day than we are right now. So we should never be more encouraging as a people than we should be right now. So there's a wrong way of reading that scripture, and there's a right way of reading that scripture. The wrong way is to take believing out of it, but the right way is to put believing back into it. And what we see here is here at New Life, we believe that when you put believers back in a community, people circling and centered around Jesus, things happen. We don't say this without conviction. I can't say this without conviction. I personally stand here testifying on my story that I believe that as people in Jesus' name gather to pursue Christ, to pursue his name, to make a priority of loving the way he loved and drawing towards him. Chains break, life comes. I'll give you an example that we see. If, if, you, if you read um, wrong that verse before about, about um, they, had, they were all together, they had all things in common, if you, and, and they sold everything they had to give to the need. If you read that wrong, you would think, wow, these people were supernatural, perfect breed of people. They were unbelievable. Or you would think that these, weren't, that these were just ordinary people, but they were coerced or guilt trips. You know, like, like, oh, I really like that house, Kathy, but fine, I'll share it with you, whatever. Oh, Christianity, it's the worst. You know, it's like we have this sense that that's what's going on. But no, that's absurd because that doesn't match the story the whole scripture's telling. These were a people who through faith, through truth, through Jesus, through leaning in, pressing in, gluing in, being devoted had had an encounter with reality. And suddenly their relationship to their possessions shifted from one of enslavement, anxiety, and fear to one of liberty, freedom, and joy. As they encountered Jesus, Jesus changed the way they saw their things. This wasn't a miracle about a community's incredible self-discipline. This is a miracle about what happens when Jesus shows us what's true. And if this is the case, no freaking wonder they were devoted, committed, glued in to the apostles' teachings. No wonder they were absolutely sold out for fellowship with one another. No wonder they were caught up in the calling to to, to remember, reflect, and pray often. Daily, it implies. So what are we going to do here at New Life? If we truly believe that community is, is, is one of God's chief faculties for growing us into his image, if we truly believe that as Christians, we will grow in community, we grow as Christians, we grow in Christward direction because of the way we love one another and do life together well, if we truly believe that human-driven uh, communities will always fail to scratch the itch to meet the need, but we truly believe that when Christ is the center, that Christ-driven communities, a heaven on earth, life in death, this, this means we have to do something. 
This means as a church family, we got to ask the question is what would it look like for us to be glued in to Christ-centered, Christ-driven, Christ-healthy communities as a church in 2022? How might I encounter a truth that sets me free this year? How might I have a better relationship with my possessions, with my family, with my own soul, with my sense of self-worth? How might I have a better relationship with one another, with Jesus, or with mission this year? How might I experience liberty and freedom in my heart this year because I glued in to a community that chased Jesus? Two ways at New Life we want to do this. The first is this. We want to be a people who are glued in to small groups. Small groups is not something the church does because it's, it's something we want you to come to and it makes us feel good. Small groups is one way we want to serve our community. We have a whole collection of small group leaders. After the service, you're going to head downstairs and you're going to find a, a couple of those small group leaders at a table waiting to chat to you and, and, and answer questions and get to know you and, and just be there as you say, what on earth is this weird thing David called small groups that Lydia spoke so well about? Small groups, they sound kind of cool. They sound kind of weird. I don't know. Tell me about them. Two people will be down there to kind of communicate what they are. But we as a people want to be real serious about what it looks like. Not to do some church organization, new life-y kind of thing, but to gather as a community with the single intention of pursuing Jesus and loving each other well. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what small groups are. We're devoted to understanding what it means to be Jesus people. We're devoted to one another and how we love each other. Second thing we want to do is if we're a community, imagine if we were a community who glued in to the community of God and of our church on a Sunday. Now, I know there are good reasons to leave after church is done. But you know we have a coffee shop downstairs? Do you know that coffee shop? I have met countless people and I've heard the stories and I have had the privilege of encountering people who I would never have encountered had I not gone. You know that when I worship on a Sunday and when I pray and when we do J35s and when we do, when we do our worship nights, I, I'm stirred and motivated in my prayer by the knowledge of the people on my left and on my right, by the recognition of their passion and their need. As I've gotten to know people in this community, it changes the way I do church on a Sunday in here. I want to invite you to be a part of that. I ain't saying come, I'm saying glue. I'm not saying attend, I'm saying devote. I'm not saying try and, um, you know, be the best. What I'm, try I'm saying is here's what we're going to do as a community. We're just going to go in and say, I'm here. I know I'm going to fail, but dang it, it's worth it. I'm going to try. I'm going to keep coming to communities. I'm going to show up. Some days I may be awkward. Some days my jokes may not land. Some days we may talk about nothing but the football. That's okay. Because some days we may hear the heart of a person. Someday someone might hear my heart, your heart. One day we could have an encounter with Jesus, our Savior, because we chose to make it a priority to stand with Christian brothers and sisters in the pursuit of Christ. You know, I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want to point out that the biggest difference, in my opinion, between uh, this idea of a perfect utopian human society driven by human power and whatnot um, and and this idea of Christ-driven communities is Christ. You see, these, um, these, these coherent communities, these ideas of, 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 of utopia, 
are driven by the wisdom, the intelligence, the ideas of the people in them. I don't know in this room, but I'm just not smart enough to live up to that. I will continue to fail. It's driven by the input, the discipline, and the hard work of the people in them. I will just, I, I'm, we're never going to have healthy community together if it's dependent on me or if it's dependent on you. The divider, the distincting, the distinction, the distinctive, I should say, is Jesus. Because here's the thing Jesus calls only for devotion. Jesus doesn't call for perfection. He calls us to say, I'm in. He doesn't cause us to say, I'm good enough. He says, just be there, show up, and keep pressing when you fail. It's worth it. Believe me and trust me, and you will see my name and you will see my freedom. He doesn't call us for perfection. The second thing is Christ, Christianity being the center and not being logical hard work means that it's not about an idea. It's about a truth, a living truth. Uh, the, the, Jesus called himself the living truth. He is the word of God who came to set all humans free. Why? Because the fact is we all have mental mind maps of what reality looks like. And when we build, them on, when we build those on fiction, when we build those on marketing, when we build those on the opinions of broken people and the hurts we've received, we build our lives on air and nothing. We're hanging off the edge of a cliff and one more bit of baggage could bring us down. Jesus isn't a fiction. Jesus isn't an idea or a coherent logic. Jesus is the living truth. So no amount of brain work or good thinking has ever saved a single soul. The only thing that saves is Jesus. And if you're in this room and you don't know him, I want to give us a moment and a chance and a time to seek this Jesus together because he is worthy of everything. And I just kind of, I, I like the, the idea of you being a new encounter, a new experience, a new relationship with your possessions, which is just one image of what it looks like to encounter Christ. When you encounter Christ, speaking from our own story, you find freedom across the spectrum. Not just once, but it grows deeper and deeper and deeper, more real, more pressing, more substant, more transformative, more impactful. I find value and worth. And Jesus is the reason Christian communities can exist. It isn't perfect Christians, it's Christ alone. So let's pray together. Jesus, as we come before you, I, I just wanna pray that you would, that you would remind us that you are in this room. First and foremost, that Jesus, you are, you are a, a, a communal God. That we pray, Holy Spirit, come. We pray, Jesus, come. We pray, God the Father, fill this room and show us your love. Why? Because you are a God of community. You're a God of reconciliation, bringing together what's broken. And so I pray over this community, first and foremost, that we would know your heart for community that we would be captivated by your love for us, captivated by your care for us, captivated by your wonder for us, that the reconciliation, the community, the idea of coming together started first and foremost with your ability to bridge the gap between us and you. I pray today in this room, if there are souls in this room who need you, who don't know you and need an encounter with you, I pray in this place, I pray in this moment right now, Jesus, that there would be a time, a moment, a space right now in the human heart that even people who think they know you but are realizing suddenly maybe they don't may encounter the liberty, the freedom, the truth of Jesus. The chains will break and life will come and truth will overcome lies and our sense of reality will become true powerful. We will build our lives on something real. 
And so Jesus, as you come and set free, I pray hearts would be touched. I pray right now people would be considering what it means to give their life to you, considering what it would look like to start a conversation about you with someone to ask, hey, who is this Jesus? And for us in this room who are Christian, I just pray, God, I just pray, God, we'll be convicted, driven and hungry for community. To believe that Christ-centered communities really could change everything. God, I, I pray I would believe it more. I pray for that conviction to fall on all of us. A genuine, deep faith that because you are the object of our community and not each other's efforts, our communities can stand the test of time and breed life, discipleship, and more people, more like Jesus in our world. Teach us, God. We love you and we praise you. In your mighty name, amen.